fam, welcome, and thank you for joining a very special milestone edition of the podcast. Exactly 661 days ago, I sat down to record the very first episode, not knowing what to expect. Almost two years later, only all to you guys. Here we go, episode 100. Extremely fired up for this one. I hope you guys are too. It's the start of a new era. Time to switch things up a bit. Got UFC 265 to recap. Some Twitter beefs going on this week and a whole lot more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Episode 100. Wow. What a journey it's been. Actually, with bonus content I put out, this is actually be the 110th episode, truth be told. But either way, it's been really cool to look back and see how far I've come. You know, finally from that one day that I just decided, fuck it, I've been wanting to do this. Even if it's garbage, I want to start. And as long as I stay consistent and if I force myself to stick to a plan, drop at least one episode a week. I try, you know, preferably on the same day and time, but my plan was that if I did that for a year straight, then I'd pretty much have no other option than to improve by, you know, simply putting in the reps. So aside from that one week off, I took to honor my amazing friend Iris, rest in peace, uh, in the one year, nine months, and I think 23 days since the very first episode dropped back in October in 2019. I've largely exceeded my initial goal of a year straight, so I'm pretty happy with that. Now, when you listen back to the very first episode I ever recorded, it's kind of hilarious to think how it was like 2.30 in the morning. I was in the garage, in the dark, in a tiny wooden infrared sauna, and I recorded the episode with an iPhone headphone mic, like the one you use to talk with on the phone. Um, I'll never forget Nico Price's upkick KO of James Vick, though. By virtue of the fact that that was a, the very first fight I ever recorded myself talking about for the podcast. So, um, also because it was the second time Nico Price had KO'd someone from his back, which is obviously incredibly rare. But after reaching that initial goal that I had set out for myself of a year straight, I've been kind of struggling to manage, I'm going to be honest, my time well enough to really dedicate the resources necessary to really continue to progress the way I'd like to in terms of trying to take the show to the next level. Now, I'm absolutely sure all the pieces are there, and I have a slew of ideas that I'm determined to execute on, so that brings me to the next thing I want to talk about. Now, I've said it before, but I want to continue to try to expand the like range of topics and the, like, the scope of the things that I talk about on the podcast. Um, if I do that, it should actually hopefully help me increase the number of episodes that I can produce, too. That way, I can hopefully consistently do more than one episode per week for you guys, and... Uh, you know, do things expanding on other than just giving the recaps and doing my picks. I want to expand on other topics, you know, like what's going on more generally in combat sports or the world. And I did create that this segment rules uh, segment, and I'm pretty proud of that. And I, I like doing those deep dives. So I want to continue to do more of those consistently, starting with hopefully this week, next week, latest I'm going to be doing uh, another one of those. So look out for that, which I'll talk about a little later in this episode. But, any, you know, the business developments in the sport, UFC is now, you know, the parent company Endeavor is now public. So there's all kinds of different things like that, like when the ESPN deal came along or the Venom deal, like the uh, apparel deals, things like this. Fight announcements, awesome fights when they're coming up, even if they're way down the line. And then also I want to hear from you guys, like guests, calling all guests. I want you guys to come on the show. If you have a small business, you can promote your small business. Uh, if you want to just, you know, share your stories, there's a lot of compelling stories out there. Everyone's got a story to tell. If you want to just shoot the shit and have fun, like we don't even have to talk about fights if you don't want to. It's just, you know, whatever whatever comes to mind. There's all kinds of things that are going on. And I just want to hear from you guys, starting with this episode going forward. Like I said, it's the dawn of a new era. I'm going to be trying to provide more than just 
the recaps and the picks. Now, like I just said, it doesn't mean I'm not going to be going over and covering the fights, but since there wasn't a UFC card the weekend that just passed, I'm going to go back to last weekend and briefly go over some of the results and storylines coming out of UFC 265. Derek Lewis, Cyril gone. I mean, a lot of these takes I'm sure you probably already heard already, but I want to give you some of my thoughts, and then we can move on to some other things that happened this past week in the fight game, some online beef, some fight announcements, some fights coming up I want to talk about. So we're going to get into UFC 265 now, but before I do, got to make sure to give a huge shout-out to the man that's been supporting the podcast pretty much all the way from the very beginning, Dave DeCourcy and the DeCourcy Group. Guys, if you guys need to take any cash out of the equity of your home or if you need to get a loan in order to purchase a home, do support the people that support the podcast by going to www.thedecourcygroup.com. That's T-H-E-D-E-C-O-U-R-C-Y group. Dot com and let them know the DLSS podcast sent you. Would definitely help us out a lot. And make sure to show some love. Blake the Snake, his son, he's got another IFS event. He's got another fight coming up. Trying to keep that undefeated record alive. It's coming up this Friday, August 20th. Go down to the M3 Live Event Center if you can. Grab yourself some tickets to show your support. But switching back to UFC 265, as far as the card itself goes, it was a little lacking, in my opinion, considering it was a pay-per-view event. I mean, I admit I'm probably a little biased after the fact because I, like you guys, I'm a big Derek Lewis fan. So, of course, in my heart, I wanted him to win. And we did have Amanda Munez versus Juliana Pena fall off last minute due to COVID. So I guess that, you know, that would have been another title fight that could have helped the card overall. But and then quick update on that. Amanda actually just put out a statement saying that she was cleared and wants to get rebooked before or around December. So. Hopefully we can see that one soon down the line. But, yeah, so the card itself took a huge hit before it even got started. And then the hometown favorite ended up getting smashed in the main event. And then mixed that with the whole Bobby Green, Rafael Fiziev situation, which we're, of course, going to get into. I just think it was one of those nights that, at least for me, kind of left me with a sour taste in my mouth. And not to mention there was valid criticism heading into the card about the fact that there was an interim title on the line in the main event, mostly due to politics from the UFC. They were just, a lot of people agreed, just putting pressure on Francis, who wasn't injured, was willing to fight a month later, and only won the belt five months ago in March. So the card kind of had some things going against it before it even got going. Uh, but one of the fights that I really did like to see play out the way it did was the Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz fight. What a performance by the King of Rio. My God, he looked great. Um, all the old heads, though, myself included, I'm very much so victim of this, but we're always quick to trot out the phrase, that was vintage Jose Aldo, like whenever he gets a win at all these days. But in this case, I think it was exactly spot on. That was exactly what you saw from the you know, former featherweight champ against a very tough and ranked opponent against Pedro Munoz, who's really looked awesome himself as of late. It was all around. I think it was a really great fight. It was fun to watch. There was a show of respect from both athletes when it was all said and done. And hands down was probably the most exciting fight for me to watch on the entire card. And I'm hearing a lot of people say after this fight that they want to see Jose Aldo versus TJ Dillashaw next. And I'll just say I'm 100% down for that shit. Book that. But let me be honest, guys. Full disclosure, I didn't catch the majority of this fight card live. Um, I had to watch them after the fact. Nora and I actually had the opportunity to see Revolution last Saturday. And so we took advantage. And I watched most of the fights later that night when I got home. And I always use MMACore.tv, by the way, for replays. It's always been a great resource for me since I got rid of Fight Pass. So if you guys need to check out replays after the fact, MMACore.tv is normally what I use. But my overall feeling on the card was kind of meh. You know, like it was not the most compelling. However, I do have to give it up to Cyril Gone. I got to mention him as well, obviously the winner of the main event. 
you know, he wasn't affected by the moment and the pressure of having way less UFC experience on top of the chaos of finding Derek Lewis, of all people, in his adopted hometown of Houston. But I think we all kind of knew going in, right? Like that Cyril Gaon was the more technical of the two and he was going to have to make a mistake at some point over those 25 minutes for the Black Beast to land one of his nuclear bombs. That's just kind of how this match, this matchmaking was going to have to play out for the most part. So in the end, Gon's patience and willingness to stick to a technical game plan, you know, not get caught up into a brawl with Derek Lewis, ended up winning the day, you know, pretty simply put. I think actually his patience, especially at heavyweight with all of the different assets that he does bring to the table with his technical skills, his deep kickboxing background, his ability to be light on his feet and move around uh, the way he does. He's got, he brings a lot of valuable assets to the table, but I think his patience is actually one of the more, or if not the most valuable ones at this stage in the game. He's only got two, 10 fights in MMA. He's 10-0, and 0, and his next fight, you know, with that win, all expectations are that he's now going to go face Francis Ngannou for the real heavyweight belt. You know, to determine who's the legitimate baddest man on the planet in his 11th fight. So, it's pretty incredible. And even though it is on the heels of a BS interim championship fight, in my opinion, I'm still definitely interested to see how these two behemoths will match up. Because, they, you know, there's an extreme clash of styles, first of all, for these two gigantic individuals. And the history they have. They trained together back in the day with Fernand Lopez before Ngannou had a falling out and moved to Vegas. He's, then he started training primarily with Eric Nixick uh, at Extreme Couture in 2018. So for the last few years, he's been in Vegas, but Fernand Lopez was a mutual coach between them, and these guys had trained together in the past. So we'll just have to see what happens because John Jones is still out there looming, and there are also rumors that Stipe is possibly going to get the trilogy match that, in my opinion, I think he deserves with Francis next so you never really know especially in this division right now especially in the ufc especially these days it's almost like in general with covid and everything else you have to really wait until the two fighters are literally in the octagon before you can really believe it's going to happen and with that in mind we're going to transition away from ufc 265 and let's talk about some upcoming fights set to go off for the next few weeks and months and i hope all these stick together starting next weekend actually the next three weeks in a row we have three fight nights all coming from the Apex. Next weekend, the 21st, Jared Cannonier is facing friend of the show, Kelvin Gasolum. Gasolum, man, always willing to step up on short notice when someone pulls out. Paulo Costa wasn't able to compete, so Jared Cannonier is now facing Kelvin Gasolum next weekend, the 21st. And then the following weekend, the 28th, uh, Edson Barboza is facing unbeaten, undefeated in the UFC, Giga Chikadze in their uh, fight night event. And that one for sure is to be 100% going to be a striker's delight for the, with those two guys. I'm really looking forward to that one. And then the following weekend, Derek Brunson is fighting Darren Till for the main event of their fight night September 4th. So a lot of fun fights to look forward to over the next few weeks. And those are just the main events. There are a bunch of little other fun fights sprinkled throughout the, the undercards of all three of those fight nights. But if you look ahead to the next UFC pay-per-view card, UFC 266. Holy shit, I'm so fucking looking forward to this fight. It's the return of big brother Nick Diaz after over five years off. He hasn't competed since 2015, and he's set to make his return against none other than ruthless Robbie Lawler. This fight is going to be so fucking fun. The general of the Nick Diaz army is returning September 25th. This is actually a rematch all the way back from UFC 47. Uh, That was all the way back in 2004. Also... You know how Nate and his, the younger brother Nate and Leon just fought back in June, and it was the first ever five-round fight that was not a main event and not a championship fight? Well, big brother Nick is coming back and having a five-round fight just the same. So the second in history ever 
non-main event, non-championship five-round fight. And if you know anything about the Diaz brothers, you do not want to swim in deep waters late into fourth and fifth round with them. So I'm very excited to see these guys go at it. And on that same card, two championship fights with Volkanovski facing Brian Ortega after they're finishing up their ultimate fighter season together as coaches. Then Valentina Shevchenko is going to face Lauren Murphy for the flyweight champion, women's flyweight championship title. So UFC 266 is loaded. I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope all these fights stick together. If you look forward even further, October 30th, this is another interesting one. UFC events are normally fight nights or pay-per-viewed cards. Pay-per-view cards are the numbered ones, like UFC 267. In this case, UFC 267 is a non-pay-per-view card, but it is a numbered card. The last time the UFC did that was UFC 138, which is 129 pay-per-view cards ago. So it goes to show you how rare it is. Hasn't been since 2011. So uh, kind of interesting. And some of the reasons that this is the case, at least in my opinion, is it's, it's set to take place in Dubai, October 30th, if I didn't just say that. Um, there are two title fights on the card, but they're not the biggest draws in, in, like globally or in the, in the um, American audience, which is the predominant pay-per-view buying audience. Uh, with, with Jan Blakovich and Glover Teixeira, the light heavyweight, 205-pound championship fight. And then the Aljo versus Peter Jan men's 135 bantamweight title fight, the rematch from uh, you know the disqualification where Aljo ended up winning the belt off Jan. So I suspect that this card wouldn't have necessarily sold a shit ton of pay-per-views domestically anyways. And then it, it really helps not mess up the projected their events and scheduling that's already set in place. Um, you know, long after this this event, because they do have UFC 268 later the following week, basically. So you don't want to cannibalize your pay-per-view buying audience by having two pay-per-views back-to-back. Plus, they're getting adequate revenue from site fees and the gate because there is going to be a crowd there in Abu Dhabi. So they decided to make it a non-pay-per-view event. It's at, starts at 8 a.m. Pacific start time for the for the West Coast. So you can see again that they're catering to the local market where they're actually having the event take place, not the Western American pay-per-view buying audience because it's not a pay-per-view. And I don't know, is, is, amongst other things and the scheduling, like I was saying, is it kind of like a fuck you to Aljo? Because, you know, it is kind of controversial how he won the title in the first place. They're making him travel for the rematch. And he doesn't get pay-per-view points even as a champion because they're, it's not a pay-per-view. And he has to deal with the time change and everything else. So it's just kind of interesting, you know, just a, wanted to point that out. So that's that. UFC 267, the following week, like I just mentioned, is UFC 268. This one is also interesting because it's tentatively scheduled for November 6th, right? Well, if you look online, some places now say location to be determined when it was originally scheduled for Madison Square Garden in New York. Well, New York actually recently passed vaccine mandates for all indoor scheduled events and indoor sporting events, so... It was also supposed to be headlined by Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. And if you saw, Michael Chandler put out a statement basically saying that he's not going to be vaccinated by a non-FDA-approved vaccine. So he doesn't expect to be vaccinated before the you know time that this event was supposed to go off. So, you know, if, if he him and Gaethje don't fight on that card, then that's a pretty significant blow to the card. And you never know. Like, I would suspect that those other fighters on the card – you know, even potentially Usman or, or Covington that aren't vaccinated either. So it's just a mess. And, you know, not, a lot of people are kind of unsure as to what's going to happen. So the vaccine mandate may end up requiring just changing the location altogether. Not sure. But if you look at some recent interviews, Dana still actually seems adamant that they'll actually be holding the event there. So it's it's still up in the air. 
and literally as I was researching the details for the podcast about whether or not the MSG event, UFC 268, whether or not it was going to be, um, if it's been decided or whether or not it's going to happen there or not, while I was trying to look into that for the podcast, I get a text from Bobby Green. I can't say a name, and, I, and nothing's confirmed 100%, but he told me he actually already got another fight scheduled, which I'm stoked for. But when I asked him, I said, where is it? Is it the Apex? Is it in Texas? Is it, is it Fight Island? Like, where is it? And he replied that it was in New York. So there's another, you know, wrench in the whole situation. He actually did say that he wasn't even sure what was going to happen, but all he knows is that he accepted and it's supposed to be in New York. I told him if it's there, that's dope because that's MSG. But if they do decide to move it, that's fine too because taxes would be a hell of a lot cheaper anywhere else. But, um, you know, I reminded him of Chandler's statement and, and stuff like that. And he said, yeah, he's not sure if it's going to be there or not. But that was what uh, he was presented with as far as him. He accepted. So like, he, can't, he couldn't tell me who yet. But apparently he's got another fight booked and that's dope. I'm stoked because no matter where it ends up being, I'm just pumped to see Bobby get right back in there because – He's always exciting. He always brings it, and it's on another high-profile card, so that's good for him no matter what. But speaking of Bobby Green, I guess this would be the best time to talk about that bullshit third round and his fight last weekend with Rafael Fiziev, but I'm going to go over it in the next segment when I go over some of the more interesting Twitter beeps that have been going on this week because boy is there a fuck ton. But um, I'll just say that my man Bobby was putting it on that guy in the third round, and if it was a five-round fight or even a three-rounder that's like scored by its entirety instead of by rounds like they do in pride or other organizations before there's no doubt in my mind that bobby would 100 percent ended up winning that fight and maybe if it was a fourth and fifth round could have got a late finish because he was kicking ass in that third round they did end up getting the fight of the night so i guess the 50k definitely helps but i'll talk more about the fucking horrible judging in this fight again in a minute but for now, I want to turn our attention to Twitter for a couple minutes. Now, normally, I don't even really put too much credence into people's Twitter accounts. I don't pay too much attention other than for pure entertainment purposes to what like fighters are tweeting out. But sometimes it can actually be an indication of if fighters are trying to drum up business, uh, trying to drum up uh, interest in a potential fight that they're angling for or planting a seed for something down the line. That, that actually is true. And then, you know, sometimes, again, it is quite entertaining. Sometimes it can be an indication of a fighter's mindset, but also sometimes it can actually go too far. And connor has been a very recent defender of this a lot with his tweet and delete fest. But did you guys see this? Where this this last week, Connor came out of nowhere on Twitter and just went scorched earth on quote-unquote fat mess Daniel Cormier. He said all sorts of things, um, one of which was claiming DC was like basically drunk uh, while at work before Connor's most recent fight with Dustin. He even suggested it was a, quote, sackable or fireable offense to be drunk at work, which, to be clear, no one's actually suspecting DC of anything, but that's pretty low if you ask me to try to take a guy's livelihood away from him just because you guys are, like, beefing. And it's really, you know, it goes back, way back, because of DC and Khabib's connection, but um, the most, for the most part, we're pretty amicable for throughout the year, so it's hard to pinpoint the exact point in time where DC and Connor began to take issue with each other, but... The clearest through line in recent events is kind of as follows. So, obviously, Dustin and Connor fight for the second and third time back in January and then just this last month. And then Dustin and D.C. are both from Lafayette, Louisiana. It's clear throughout the years Dustin and D.C. are close and that D.C. is pretty partial in this matchup to Dustin's side. And then Dustin goes ahead and wins both those fights. And then after the third fight, Khabib, who we all know is extremely close with D.C. and also has a respectful relationship with Dustin, he tweets out, 
quote, good always defeats evil in his congratulations to Dustin after the win. And at some point over the last couple of weeks, Connor in one of his, you know, frequent tweet and delete fest tweeted out in response to Khabib saying COVID is good and father is evil, which is sadly, you know, because Khabib father's uh, Abdul Manat passed away this last year from coronavirus. Like, I think that's that's going too far. That's fucked up, in my opinion. Someone who's lost his parents. And a lot of people, not just me, uh, thought it was too far. DC had some things to say about it, uh, about Connor when he was reacting to it on his show on ESPN. And Connor heard those, and Connor did not like those comments. So Connor goes ape shit on Twitter, lashing out at DC, basically claiming he should be getting fired for drinking on the job, which is actually pretty rich from a guy who drinks and sips whiskey at press conferences. But, you know, I digress. Um, DC basically on Twitter just replied with, quote, I'm not going to say anything to embarrass myself on Twitter, Connor. But when we see each other, keep that same energy. And then he also responded to Connor later on his show on ESPN. And he said, uh, don't worry about Daniel Cormier. Don't worry about the things that I'm saying. Don't worry about how I'm dressing and how I'm looking. Don't do that. Worry about the dudes that keep beating your ass every time you go into that octagon. Now, I don't know if this is the beginning of something or the end, but... Either way, this one's definitely got my attention. And then another couple of fighters are also going back and forth on Twitter. Got my attention. Um, Nate and Dustin were going back and forth. A lot of people don't remember that Nate actually was the one that re-sparked the feud between him and Dustin five days after Dustin had beat Connor for the second time back in July. And on July 15th, Nate tweeted, 185 pounds, pull up, with a picture of him and Dustin facing off from UFC 230 back in 2018 when they were actually booked to fight at MSG before Dustin had to pull out due to injury. The very next day, Dustin, July 16th, tweeted out, I'll touch you up at any weight. Obviously, they're talking to each other. That was, for the most part, it at the time. But anybody who's paying attention can see that they're, you know, both kind of trying to plant the seed there for, you know, potential money fight. Like, But people like myself are wondering, is Dustin going to pass up another championship opportunity? You know, because he said so much how, how much it means to him to be the undisputed before he hangs him up. But was he was he angling to do that for another money fight like he did when he rematched Connor immediately after beating him back in January instead of fighting for the belt? Then Wednesday of this week, Dustin cryptically tweets out just Nathan, question mark. And then Nate responds, let's fight. Don't be scared this time, though. Obviously referring to the time Dustin pulled out uh, from UFC 230. And then the next day, uh, obviously insinuating that Nate had heard back from the UFC saying Dustin said no or something. Nate put pressure by claiming victory because he tweeted out, I knew you was a pussy bitch. That's 2-0. and And then Dustin came back with and replied, quote, they're lying and you're getting played. So take that for what it is. Then it wraps up with Nate basically saying, boss the fuck up. Quit being a little bitch. I do what I want. You do what you're told. And it was clear that a certain Irishman was sitting back, you know, possibly with a broken leg, you know, paying attention to this back and forth because he ended up interjecting himself as he likes to do and tweeted out basically that he was laughing and to keep going. So um, it looks like to me, though, like in all seriousness, that Dustin Poirier recognizes his worth finally. And he's angling to try to cash in on the leverage that he's created for himself over his long career. And I don't blame him one bit, honestly. Like, think about it. He could easily go fight Nate at 170, 185 pounds and make a fuck ton of money regardless of the outcome and still be able to come back to lightweight and challenge for the title in his very next fight. The guy is widely considered not just by the fans, but by his fellow fighters, even the ones in his own damn division. 
as to be the uncrowned champ and without question the most deserving of the next shot at the title anyway so he's good no matter what now i'm not saying that for sure dustin won't fight charles uh, for the belt next but it seems like to me that he realizes that if he fights nate he stands to make a hell of a lot more money than if he would competing as a challenger against charles who has nowhere near the same visibility and since dustin isn't a champion right now technically he wouldn't get pay-per-view points. And even if he did, as I just mentioned, Charles isn't really a huge draw. So it most likely wouldn't sell enough to bridge the gap anyway. And again, since there's very little downside in terms of his place at 155, and not, he's not going to lose his place in line, like the longer he can stay in the front of that line and keep fighting big names for big checks, like, fuck it, that's totally fine with me, man. He's been paying his dues for a long time. And it's my guess he's got like one or possibly two more fights depending on if he fights for the belt next or not before he decides to hang him up because I think he wants to focus more on the things that he actually enjoys at this stage in his life. And he said before, like, he doesn't really love the process like he once did, and it takes him away from his family. So in the end, um, all he really enjoys is the, actually fight, the actual fight itself, which he's been quoted saying mul multiple times. So to me, I think Dustin is planning out those last few as caref carefully as he can, and... Uh, wants to make the most money he can, secure the unified lightweight belt eventually, and then uh, cement his legacy as one of the, of the best of all times, and then bounce. But I guess we'll all have to wait and see. But I really want to hear what you guys think, actually, about it. So let me know. Reach out to me on my Instagram, d.love underscore 84, or Twitter, dlove underscore 84. And let me know. Do you guys want to see Dustin face Nate finally? Because they do have that history, and he can get uh, one more you know, high-profile money fight. He's not holding up a division per se even though everyone thinks he deserves the title fight with charles Oliveira, he's not technically a champ so uh you know if they book charles against somebody else that's his loss but uh let me know what you guys think do you think dustin should do that or you think he should immediately face charles Oliveira next and what you think is actually going to happen um and moving on another twitter beef the final one of the day that i wanted to touch on okay so you guys Remember earlier when I said Bobby Green was putting it on Fazayev in the third round of their fight at UFC 265 last week? Well, one of the three judges scored the fight as a unanimous decision, 3-0 to zero for Fazayev, when it was clear that the entire third round, Bobby Green was coming forward, pressuring Fazayev, and even late into the fight when Fazayev looked extremely tired, Bobby was just coming forward and putting it on him. Uh, the entire MMA community was in agreement on something for once that Bobby definitely at least won the third round decisively. Like, when when the fuck does the MMA community ever, like, agree on anything? Like, but one guy, one judge apparently saw it differently. And after getting a lot of heat online, Jay Ferrero is the judge's name. Um, he put out a long-ass word salad trying to defend his position, and it was just kind of arrogant about the whole thing, which, like, resulted in an even bigger backlash from the people whose opinion really matter in this business if you want to be successful, in my opinion. Um, and I'll be putting out the uh, This Segment Rules. I was telling you guys earlier about this, but I'll be putting out a This Segment Rules episode soon in the coming weeks to explain how this uh, judge totally got it wrong, even according to the same scoring criteria that he himself used to defend his scorecard online. Uh, but that's not till later this week, so keep an eye out for that. But... John Anik came out in defense of Bobby Green, both online and on his podcast, the Anik, Anik and Florian podcast. But in response to a fan on Twitter asking John to comment on the explanation that the judge put out, um, John responded with basically, I, he said, quote, I said my piece on Instagram because he did Instagram live and the Anik and Florian uh, podcast. 
I haven't found a single fighter, coach, or MMA fan of any kind who scored the third round for Fazayev. This was just one judge in one round, but it speaks to a much larger issue. But I do appreciate his willingness to try to explain his side of things, end quote. Like, see, even when John grossly disagrees with you, he can still have, you know, a professional tone about the whole thing. But it makes me uh, laugh, too, though, because when people hear him cuss on the podcast for the first time, it does. It always kind of catches them off guard. But for the most part, he's always fair and objective. He really is. Like, And he's been one of the most consistent broadcasters throughout all the years. So, like, he's A, seen a lot of shit in his day, and B, has always been an advocate for the fighters above everyone else. So, and then shortly later, the judge actually responded to a tweet that someone else put out there about the fight outcome and how... You know, that third round on his scorecard, it didn't really affect the the outcome of the fight. The judge replied to that tweet, quote, saying, which is why it was uncalled for and unfair that in a round that was close and the fight was in the bag anyways, that Anik chose to trash me online, end quote. Well, John Anik replied to that actual tweet and said, quote, trash is a strong verb, but I'm certainly more concerned about the fighters than your feelings. And my track record certainly speaks to that. This is a much larger issue than you and your scorecard, end quote. So John was a bit more heated, and then he also later replied to another tweet saying, uh, what a joke, haven't found a single person other than that judge who scored the round for Fazayev, and the only reason he went public with a grossly inefficient defense of his position was because he got called out, and now he's going at the fan base with all the immaturity you'd expect, end quote. And on uh, Anakin Florian podcast, he also mentioned that his um, eight and ten year old children watched the fight with the sound off, not knowing the extenuating circumstances, and both thought he was playing a joke on him. Thought he was like a trick question, like when they're like, "Of course, Bobby won that round." So there's there's that as well. So overall, I found I found it pretty entertaining, and I do have to give it to the judge for actually trying to uh, hold himself accountable by putting out an explanation, but. And unfortunately, it's just he still got it completely wrong. And uh, th- that was basically the gist of it. But ultimately, like, I completely side with John Anik and most of the rest of the mix of the MMA community. Um, but, again, keep a lookout for an u- upcoming segment, guys, of the, the This Segment Rules portion of the show because um, I really like doing those. And I, I have a very clear point I want to make about um, the judge and how he – he tried to follow the right criteria, but in the end, he still got it completely wrong. So keep an eye out for that. That does it for all the drama that took place on Twitter over the last week. Uh, uh, let me know if you guys like when I do that and go over some of the, the Twitter beefs that are going on. It might be an ongoing segment that I, that I continue to bring back. Not sure yet, uh, but let me know. But moving on, uh, the last thing I want to do before I wrap up episode 100 is I want to give an official update for the standings for the predictions challenge. It's been a whole long. It's been a long time since I recapped the actual points, and if memory serves, I think the last time I actually recapped the points on the show, I'm pretty sure I was like still behind by well over maybe even 30 points to Jose. We haven't stopped doing it. We haven't missed a week. We haven't missed a fight. Um, so at that point, Jose was behind Nate by like 10 or so, and I was dead last by. Easily 20-plus points, reminiscent of uh, last year, actually, where I had to come back last minute. But it's uh, over the course of the last few months, I've closed the gap, as I like to do, and even overtook Jose last week, but it was short-lived because with the Derek Lewis serial gone card, he bounced back and is actually back in second place now. He's ahead of me by one point. So I'm fucking coming for you, brother. Uh, but it's a close race for all of us as we hit the, three-fourth, the three-quarter mark. 
of the year with four and a half months to go. So I'm going to do, I'm going to recap the current standings for the year to date points for all of us. So here we go. Uh, we've called 267 total fights uh, throughout the year. And Nate is still in first place with 192 points. He's uh, got 147 correct, 120 wrong, four draws and three no contests, uh, 55% uh, win percentage. Jose, 177 points, 131 wins, 136 losses, four draws, three no contests, 49% win percentage. And I'm trailing in by one point, like I said, 176 points. But I do have a better win percentage at 143 wins, 124 losses, four draws, and three no contests, 54% win percentage. So if you guys remember with the rules of the predictions challenge, there's a bonus up for grabs at the end of the year for whoever had the has the best win-loss ratio. So um, I know Nate's still in the lead with that too, but I'm right behind him. So if, if you're behind, say, for like five points and you end up with a better win-loss ratio at the very, very end of the year, you get a 10-point bonus. So there's always that to consider as well. So it's going to be a battle down the stretch. Uh, you know, we got to see, can Nate defend his title and, and come in first place two years in a row? Or can either Jose or I death throw in the defending champ and that's one of our names into DLSS Predictions Challenge history. But no matter what ends up happening, it's been a lot of fun. And I really appreciate both the guys for the competition and for uh, being consistent, you know, and uh, being there every single week, making sure not to miss and submit their picks. I uh, really appreciate both you, Jose, and you, Nate, of course. And if you guys, I'm sure you've probably already noticed that Nate hasn't really been on the show for a little while. But since moving, it's really been difficult with everything both of us got going on. we got a lot of things going on both of us do. Uh, but it's been difficult to consistently have our schedules line up in order to record. So, you know, DLSS, strictly speaking, is a one-man show going forward. That's how it was originally created, and that's how it'll stay. But don't worry. Of course, I'm going to have him as a guest whenever he wants. He's still my brother from another mother. We've been through a lot together, so that's never going to change. But in line with what I was saying at the beginning of today's show, like, I really want to mix things up and provide more than what I have been. And one of the best ways to do that is with having guests on to share their story. So having the flexibility to have different people on will end up actually being the best way for me to go in the long run. So it all works out. Um, and speaking of which, you know, I put out some feelers and a good amount of people have reached out in some capacity already expressing interest in coming on uh, and being a guest on the show. So thank you so much to those that have already reached out, a lot of which you'll probably hear now and then again in the pre-recorded outro that I do, you know, trying to thank all the small businesses who support the show. But um, of course, like I just mentioned, Nate, we're going to have him on as soon as he can get by. Um, Jose Nunez, he's pretty much like, you know, honorary member of the show. He's he's the one that does the picks with us every week. I got to get him finally on the show. Uh, my boy Ian Dooley lives across the street from me now. He does uh, photography and a whole lot more. want to have him on have some good conversations. Brian the Beast Shell, man, this guy's been putting in work for years and looking for an opportunity. I hope he gets one sh soon in the fight game. Want to have him on. He's a big supporter of me and the Tonic as well, so we got to have him on. And then Ben Briggs from uh, Hidden House Coffees. He's expressed interest in coming on too, so uh, it means a lot that I can have these cool conversations hopefully in the future soon with a lot of interesting people. Hank Smith, I uh, met him through Nate. He's actually the first one to lock in an actual exact date, so uh, I appreciate that and looking forward to speaking to him. Uh, Mac Noodles, he's got freestyle hibachi greatness. Like He's going to come through. We're going to have a great time. And hopefully we can have some good food as well. My boy Jose Tellez has uh, talked about coming on 
after he has his upcoming surgery. His story is uh, incredibly inspiring, and uh, I really want to just kind of catch up with him, and I would love to to share his story with you guys because I think it could really help some people. And, and again, it's very inspiring. So look forward to speaking to Jose. My boy Jeremy Efron also reached out. He does a lot of music, uh, sound engineering, and uh, mixing. He's also a fight enthusiast. And then my boy Justin from California Shirtsmiths. Me and that guy have some wacky-ass conversations. He does uh, custom print works. He does a lot of unique custom side projects, uh, as well as the merch for the podcast and for the tonic, in fact. It's just an all-around interesting cat. So I appreciate everybody who's shared interest in wanting to come on the show. And look forward to sitting down and having a good conversation with you guys. But aside from that, make sure to keep a lookout this week for a fresh episode of this segment, Rules Dropping, episode number five of that. And then, of course, Kelvin Gasolum is fighting Jared Cannonier this upcoming weekend. So we got a card to break down. I'm going to give you my picks. So at some point this week, uh, I'm going to hopefully be dropping two additional episodes so three episodes in one week starting off the new era with a bang episode 100 i appreciate you guys being here i absolutely could not have done it without you so from the bottom of my heart thank you guys so much but that's it that does it for this week's installment of the d love special sauce podcast hope you guys liked the show if you did go over to apple and itunes give us a five-star rating and a positive review while you're there turn the notification bell on that way you're on top of all the most current content if you're already supporting a small independent podcast please do check out and support all the small businesses that support us just like you guys by listening every week we got monique taylor with strong women designs we got dream loud collections my girl nora custom handmade jewelry check her out oc party rentals paint bay the journey of a modern day painter upper glass tent eden buttery pancakes is getting people shredded vargas auto spa california shirt smith check out justin for some custom print works Blake Builder and the Builder System, Mac Noodles Sabachi Chef, Ricardo with Neighborhood Auto Care, Sox Meals, Angie Snyder, and of course, he loves Tuber Tonic. But last and not least, MMT Fitness. Make sure to check them out on Instagram. Make sure to go out and check out the gym. Exit Avery Parkway off the five freeway. First class is always free. Tell them the DLSS podcast sent you. But that does it for this week, guys. Until next week, same time, the same place. Enjoy the fights.